listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're all here. We are in the fourth week of this Life Was a Wreck, But Then I Met Jesus series. And man, we've just been meeting people from the Bible and seeing how when Jesus comes into somebody's life, it just makes a difference. It just changes things. So if this is your first time joining us today, you know, I'm just so glad you're here. And I hope that it can be something that you can really uh, grow from and learn from. I got a question for you to chew on. Have you ever met a celebrity? Like a famous person, like a really famous person. I would love to go around the room like, who's the most famous person you've ever met? Um, I've met a couple people that would be considered famous. In high school, I was a huge fan of the band No Doubt. You remember No Doubt? They still play a little bit a day. They're pretty big still. Lead singer Gwen Stefani. I had a huge crush on Gwen Stefani. Uh, Man, and so I'm in high school, and I had the opportunity to go to Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, uh, with the marching band. So I'm down there with the marching band. We're done with our competition, and I got to just kind of be in the park and ride the rides and go to restaurants and stuff like that. And I'm in this one restaurant with a couple of buddies, and who should walk in the door but Gwen Stefani and the whole No Doubt band. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. But see, I have a policy. I have a policy when it comes to meeting celebrities. My policy is... Play it cool. It's a good policy because they're just normal people and they don't want you to freak out. But you, got, you want to acknowledge that you've seen them and stuff. So I, I immediately formulated a, a plan. And this was my plan. I, I was going to walk up to Gwen and say, because remember, my policy is play it cool. Hey, Gwen. You're awesome. Okay. <laughs> That was going to be it. It was going to be, you know, not over the top, but enough to say, you know, I appreciate your fine artistic abilities and cool punk rock mohawk. It's awesome. So the moment came, and I'm sitting there like, okay, I'm going to walk over there. All right, here we go. And as I go to open my mouth, this big thug of a man steps in front of me, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, we're not doing that today, kid. I'm like, doing what? We're I was just going to get a refill. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's talking to me. He's like, we got, we got you know, privacy, blah, blah, blah. You don't have any respect, you punk kids. And I'm just like, what? In the moments he was talking to me, I looked away from Gwen. And then when I got done, I looked back over this place where she was, and she was gone. By the way, when you're telling a story, and it doesn't quite end the way that you wish it would or everyone expects it to, you can always just add, you can just tag on this sentence at the end. It makes the story much better. So you tag on the sentence, and then I found a dollar. So that's what happened. Then I found a dollar. That was like the best part of that story. I don't know if you've ever met a, uh, a celebrity, and, and I don't know to what great lengths you might have gone to meet somebody, driven a thousand miles, flown in an airplane, crawled into somebody's window like a creepy person. I don't know what you've done. People have done some crazy things to meet celebrities. Uh, maybe for you it's a rock star, maybe it's a movie star, maybe it's just a, you're just a fan of an author or something. I talked to somebody this morning who met Nicholas Sparks, which is pretty sweet, you know, stuff like that. But here's the thing, celebrity attracts attention. That's a fact. It doesn't matter what you're famous for. When you're in town, people are like, oh, wow, they're here. I just, that's a big deal that I don't really understand why it's such a big deal. Because celebrity attracts attention. We've been talking for about a month now about Jesus and how he's been traveling from town to town, village to village, city to city. And you know what, as his, as his popularity and, and his reputation began to grow in the area around, around Jerusalem where he was doing his ministry, man, I'm going to tell you something. He was nothing short of a rock star. 
But this isn't an age before social media. This is before the internet, obviously. It's before mass media like TV and radio. It's even before, you know, billboards and stuff like that. For someone to be that famous, there's only one way it could happen. And that was through word of mouth. And Jesus had it. Because we would find, as we read through the Bible, that when Jesus would arrive in some of these towns, his reputation would precede him. I mean, his reputation would get there long before he did, and the people would be prepared for him. Why? Well, we've seen over the last several weeks, man, when Jesus enters someone's life, it just changes things. And so there were these stories going around about one of the, some of the amazing things Jesus had been doing. Like, he was taking blind people and giving them the ability to see. He was taking crippled people and giving them the ability to walk. He was taking people who were, who were scoundrels and scumbags and turning them into otherwise morally good people. He took dead people and made them come back to life. That gets people's attention. And so we've been saying about these people, man, their life was a wreck. But then they met Jesus. So we're going to look at the life of another guy, actually several guys, I believe, whose lives were dramatically changed as Jesus and all his celebrity show up in their hometown. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. So Adventure Church, we use the Bible as our primary preaching source. We think that the, the life's most important questions are answered there. And so uh, if you didn't bring a Bible today, that's cool. we got the scriptures up on the screen. Um, but maybe you don't have a Bible, or the Bible you do have is maybe a little out of date or old-fashioned or hard for you to read. Here's the deal. We, we, we're doing our best as a church to make sure everybody that comes here can have a Bible. So I want you to have one for free today. There's some that are kind of under the seats. You can get more by speaking to the volunteers in the back. But grab a Bible before you leave. So we're going to be in the Bible, and we're going to be in the book of Mark, something that you need to know about Mark. There are four books in the Bible that just explicitly talk about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, often called the Gospels. We've been in John some, we've been in Mark some, we've touched in Matthew a little bit. We're back in Mark again today, so that's where we find ourselves today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and just the first two verses set us up. So here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So we're early in the travels of Jesus yet. And we find Jesus in this town called Capernaum at this house. It is very likely, in fact, that the thing says he's returned home, that he has been to this place before, probably even this house. Uh, a lot of people believe that the house that they probably were in was the house of two of his closest friends, uh, Peter and Andrew. So let's just say for the sake of our time today that he's maybe in Peter and Andrew's house. And Jesus is kind of walking up into this town, and I can picture the scene unfold as it happens. And so maybe there's this boy from the village. He's out, I don't know, collecting some stuff from a field outside the village. And he, and he looks up, and he sees coming up the road, hey, I think that's Jesus. Yeah, yeah that's Jesus and, and Andrew and Peter. Oh, this is a big deal. So he starts running down the road, and he goes to the first house on the road, and he says, knock, 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 knock. Hey, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Yeah, he's with Peter and Andrew. And they're like, really? Where are they going to be? I don't know, he's with Peter and Andrew. Maybe they're going to be at Peter and Andrew's house. And so they're like, okay, okay, well, go and tell some other people, and I'll tell my neighbors. So this guy runs to the second house, and he knocks on his neighbor's door, and he says, hey, Jesus is in town. He's going to Peter and Andrew's house. Really? Yeah, we should all go. Awesome. And so they go to the next house. Hey, Jesus is in town. They're going to Peter and Andrew's house. And they said, bring all your friends and and bring snacks and food because it's going to be a party. Because that's how parties develop, right? And so they go to the next house, and they're like, hey, Peter and Andrew's house. They're having a party. Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be awesome, and he's just going to be giving away gold nuggets. I don't know how it went. But for whatever reason, by the time we find ourselves at Peter and Andrew's house, the place is packed. There's not even enough room to get in the door. 
I, mean, I, was, uh, I had this amazing privilege to go to West Africa, to the countries of Ghana and Togo uh, back in 2002. I spent two months there and just learned so much and grew so much, but uh, simultaneously was the World Cup. And we're Americans, and like when, when I say football, you think about guys with pads on and the Super Bowl's coming up, but worldwide, football is a big deal. We call it soccer. I'm not trying to patronize you. I'm being funny. Soccer's a big deal, especially in Ghana. And uh, we were there during the World Cup, and Ghana was playing, I remember, on this one particular day. And anyway, we were out in this remote area in this rainforest, me and the guys that I was there with. And we were doing some missionary work, some medical relief work, and meeting some tribal leaders, which, by the way, was awesome. And then all of a sudden, we just hear this, ah, this commotion of a crowd. And so we immediately rush to the place of the noise, and we go over there to see what's going on. And we see this bizarre scene. Uh, there's this little shack of a house, you know, maybe 12 by 12, little bitty house, little porch on the front, and it is surrounded by people, just absolutely, utterly surrounded. I mean, there are people just crammed looking in the door, people looking over people's backs, people looking in between people's legs. There's a window, and so there's like seven people with their heads in the window, other people with their ears up against the wall. There are people on the roof looking in through the cracks in the ceiling. I'm not making this up. And immediately when we saw it, we knew exactly what it was. That day, Ghana was playing a soccer game in the World Cup. I believe they were playing in the United States. And inside that house was a little battery-powered radio broadcasting the game. Because it was a big deal, the city shut down, the village shut down. Everybody was around any place they could get to to hear the game. It was the big ticket item. It was the star moment. And everybody wanted to hear what was going on. This is what we find in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in town. He's the big ticket item. Everybody's heard about the amazing things that he's done. And whether they believe that he is what he says he is or not, they want to see this. So they show up and they're in this person's house and they are packed. The doors are packed. The windows are packed. And you just can't get a seat anywhere. Now, not only did the average populace show up, like the normal Joe Schmo people just show up because they might have wanted to hear Jesus. There was a certain group of people that when Jesus was teaching, man, he really caught their attention. And the reason was Jesus was a Jew. He was Jewish by, by nationality, and the people that lived with him, their faith was Judaism. They were Jews, and they lived in a great Jewish nation. And so uh, the celebrities in Judaism were the people who have become known as the religious leaders. They were the celebrities. They were the one who commanded the, the attention of a room. They were the one who kept their, their eyes on what people were saying and thinking and doing. They wanted to make sure that everybody was following God, and they had a good role. And I, Sometimes they get bashed at church because now we've got Jesus. And like, but they did a good job making sure people kind of kept their, kept their head on straight with God. Here's the thing. They heard Jesus was in town too. So they show up at this meeting. One of their main goals when, when we see them in Scripture, is to try to catch Jesus in some sort of a, some sort of a lie or, or a bad teaching or something like that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So they're there. The stage is set. Jesus has come to town. It's going to be a big old block party. Everybody wants to hear this word that Jesus is going to teach. The religious leaders have showed up. But there's, there's one more part of our cast that needs to show up in the story. And we're going to catch them in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Verses 3 and 5 says, Some men came, bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by the four of them. Since they could not give him, uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus' head by digging through it and lowering the mat the man was laying on. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that was just kind of like an abrupt, like, okay, here's all the details. Let's unpack that a little bit because I think there's a lot to be seen in this story. First, you, re- you really got to give these guys credit. Uh, the guys who are carrying the paralyzed man, uh, we don't know their relationship to the paralyzed man. They, he may have been family. He may have been just a childhood friend. He may have been uh, just a neighbor and they were nice guys. I don't know. Maybe their mom, his mom paid them to do it. I, I don't know what got these guys so excited about getting this paralyzed friend to see Jesus. We also don't even know anything about the paralyzed guy. We don't even know his name. I feel kind of bad just calling him the guy on the mat. Like if you read scholarly books about the Bible, like that's what he's called, the man on the mat. So I feel like we should give him a name today. I don't think this is inappropriate. I think, can we call him something? Like let's call him like um, Matt. Can we call him Matt? Maybe Matthew is kind of a good, good, strong Jewish name. So we'll call him Matt for the rest of the time, all right? So Matt and his friends, they come to see Jesus. I don't know how this went down. I imagine it was something like this. Hey, guys, did, did you hear Jesus was in town? Really? Yeah. Man, I've been wanting to see Jesus. I've heard about all the stuff he's done, and he's in our town again. Yes. We should go. We should. Oh, Matt, right. You're paralyzed. Sorry, bro. We're. Wait. Wait, no, no, this Jesus guy, he's the guy who heals people, right? Yeah. Let's take Matt. Maybe Matt can get healed. Matt's like, Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And the guys are like, okay, um, let's drag him on a sheet. And I don't know if Matt like signed a consent for him. You can drag me on a sheet. I don't know. Or if he was like, oh, come on, guys. No, 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 not the sheet. <laughs> not the sheet. Last time you dragged me on the sheet, I got like rocks in my tunic for a week. Like, I don't want that. It's okay. We'll lift you up higher this time. I don't know. But anyway, they get Matt to the house. He's carrying him on like a mat or a sheet or something. And they get there. And, and then, oh, it's crowded. Man, I told you we should have got here sooner. Well, Matt didn't walk. Well, sorry, guys. You know, it's like, so, okay, it's not your fault. And, like, they're trying to squeeze in. Here's the thing that I know about these guys that I really am recognizing from their story is this, that these guys really didn't want to miss an opportunity to meet Jesus. You catch that? They really didn't want to miss an opportunity to, Jesus, to meet Jesus. And the second thing, they really wanted to bring their friend. They really didn't want to miss an opportunity to meet Jesus, and they really wanted to bring their friend. And so one of the guys has got an idea. He says, all right. Ah, okay, Matt, you might not like this. Let's get Matt up on the roof. Matt's like, the roof, come on, guys. Like, and before we like get all humorous and picture them like heave-hoeing him up on the roof, um, it's likely that this house was like many other houses at the time. It probably had like an exterior staircase that went up to like a flat roof that was built of, uh, of branches and sod. Um, you know, very organic greenhouse. And it wouldn't have been that hard. And, and digging a hole in the roof wouldn't have been all that difficult because of the way it was constructed. But at any rate, we find Matt and his buddies up on the roof. These guys really didn't want to miss a chance to meet Jesus. And they really wanted to bring their friend, but there was a problem. They couldn't see Jesus. So probably that same guy who had the idea of dragging Matt on the sheet and the same guy who had the idea of put him on the roof was like, oh, light bulb, I've got an idea. Let's dig a hole in the roof. And the other guys are like, I don't see how that's going to help. I just, maybe we can see him better. We can kind of hear him through the roof. It's, no, 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 not to see Jesus. We're going to, sorry, Matt. We're going to drop Matt through the roof. <laughs> Matt's like, that's where I draw the line. Nobody's dropping me through the roof today. But that's what they do. Now, I want to stop the story just one more time. And I I wish I had the DVD version or the Blu-ray version of the Bible with, like, the director's commentary. 
Because I got questions. And maybe you're saying, well, I got questions. Like, I'm like, hold on, hold on. For example, Jesus must have really been bringing it. Like, he was preaching the word to them, and people were really, I mean, they were into it. They were so into it, they wouldn't even let the crippled guy come in the house. I mean, they were totally into what Jesus was saying. But was there a point at which, like, some dirt and stuff was falling from the ceiling? Like, trickle, I don't know if you've ever dug a hole before, but it's not a very clean process. Was there someone who was like, um, excuse me, Mr. Jesus, sir, uh, there, the ceiling seems to be collapsing. Should, should we move outside or something? Like, I don't know if that happened, and I wonder, like, maybe Peter and Andrew, like, if this was their house, how'd they feel about that? Like, were they mad? Like, dude, come on, man, I just got a thing resodded up there. Or, or were they like, oh, man, the rats are back in the attic. I, I don't know what they were thinking, but I just wish I, but we don't have that information. So anyway... Matt's friends break through the roof. They lower him down to the feet of Jesus. And go back to verse 5 in Matthew chapter 2. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven? That's what he says. Son, your sins are forgiven. And maybe you've heard this story before, and it doesn't surprise you that that's what he said. And maybe you know something about Jesus. You're like, yeah, Jesus is the sin-forgiven guy. Like, that's not a big deal. But I want to take a second to get down on Matt's mat, okay? And you're down there, and you're looking up at Jesus. What's going through your head? Because you're like, man, this is the moment. This is it. Jesus is the healer guy who heals sick people. He makes lame people walk. Oh, this is the moment I've been waiting for. And he's like, all right, toes, here come the feeling. Here come the feeling, toes. And we're going to do some jumping jacks. And, oh, I have my eyes and this new pair of shoes that I had, had no need for. But I'm going to get those bad boys. And he's excited. And he's ready. He's like bracing himself. I wonder what it's going to feel like to, to get healed. And Jesus goes, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Did we dig a hole in the wrong roof? I thought you were the healer guy. I don't understand. Have you ever gotten a gift, and when you opened it, it was not what you expected to receive? There's this great video on YouTube. These parents, they prank their daughter on Christmas Day. It's so awesome. Maybe you've seen it. All she wanted for Christmas was a Nintendo Wii. And so they, they bought her one. They got her a Nintendo Wii, but they took the game console out of the box and hid it, and then in the box they packed a sweater. They wrapped it up, and they did the same thing with the little box for the controllers, and extra controllers they got, and there were some accessories and other stuff, I don't know, and they, they put all kinds of junk, and like, like put some socks in the controller boxes, and wrapped it all up, and, just, just, and then they videotaped the whole thing, because they're good parents. And, and they said, and she's sitting there, and she's like, unwrapping it, she's like, and she's, you can just see the excitement, and she's ripping the package open, and she's like, she sees on the box, it says Nintendo Wii. She goes to rip it open and then pulls out a sweater. You, I love this girl. I wish I knew her personally because her attitude is so great. She goes, oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> totally just doesn't. Then opens the other boxes. You got to check out the video on YouTube for yourself to see what really happens. But... This is how Matt must have felt. Here comes the feeling in the toes. Here come the jumping jacks. And here, what? I'm sorry, I must have misheard you. My sins are forgiven? Time out. I want to take a second to talk about, um, to talk about sin. Because it's something that we don't like to talk about. It's uncomfortable. And it gets, it gets a little personal. And especially in our culture where we say stuff like, man, just live and let live. Or, man, my truth is not your truth. So you talk about sin, it's like, pfft, what is sin? Like, 
The Bible talks about sin. It really does. And I think as a church that we need to understand what the Bible says about sin and how God feels about it. And so, honestly, it's not all that complicated. So I want to give you a couple of visuals to help you see uh, some things from, we're starting over here, some things from God's point of view. The first thing I have here is this target. You might have noticed up here. I borrowed this from my man, Jake, who's in the elementary class. Um, and so I got a super manly, kid-sized compound bow with me. And I wish I could uh, roll like, uh, like the girl from the movie Brave and just like totally nail the bullseye. But I'm not going to do that. Embarrass myself this morning. We got this target. This target uh, represents something. Actually, it's very definitive of the word sin. The word sin comes from an old archery word. And, and in short, you know, you want to hit a target. But if you miss the target, it was sin. You missed it's like miss or sin. It was just that's where that word kind of developed from. And so you've got this word sin. And I want us to picture this target because the truth is God has set up some targets for us to hit in life. He says things like, man, you should love people. Uh, you, you should be joyful people. You should be people of peace. The Bible says things like we should be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He says that we should be moral people. I mean, there's all these things, and these are all like, like targets that we should hit. And when we hit those targets, it's like, yeah, we've done what God wants us to do. And when we miss those targets, that's one way of understanding sin. Now, we're in the YMCA, and I love using sports analogies here because there's a racquetball court around the corner, and, and people uh, who come here, they play racquetball a lot. And I don't know if you know much about racquetball or tennis. I don't know a whole lot, but I know the physics of it. Uh, the, the, the racquetball racket uh, and tennis racket are built in such a way so that they have an optimal uh, performance spot, okay? They're built with this webbing and a frame, and when you hit a tennis ball, there is a sweet spot on the racket. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that moment where you hit it perfectly and it just soars. Same thing happens with a baseball bat. It's called the sweet spot. When you can hit something in the sweet spot, bam, it just soars. But when you miss the sweet spot, the, the results are a little bit more varied and unpredictable. And some of them are, are kind of, you know, unthinkable. You hit the rim of the, the, the frame of the, uh, the racket and pew, it's off. You hit it off the side and you're not going to get it where you want it to go. Here's the thing with God's target. He set up these things for us to hit because he says, listen, this is the sweet spot for you to live in. If you can love people, if you can be people of joy, if you can be people of peace, if you can be people of patience, if you can live a moral life, if you can hit these targets, you're going to be in the sweet spot of life. And, man, you will soar. And when you miss those spots, man, the results are a little bit more unpredictable. In fact, some of them are unthinkable. The sad fact is that sin separates us from God. And the Bible says that all have sinned, in the book of Romans, that everyone has sinned and missed the target or fallen short of the glory of God. And so, I mean, it's kind of like a way of understanding sin and looking at this target. I want to give us a verse to kind of encourage us. In fact, if you're someone who's like kind of just coming to church for the first time, you've been maybe once or twice, and you're like, where do I begin? I'm just going to give you a place to begin today. There's a verse in the Bible. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen here. This is a great place to begin. You could actually memorize this and try to make it kind of a core of who you are. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Targets. Sweet spot. And you can soar. There's a second way of understanding sin. And I'm going to represent it with this big square. Now, if this notepad represents uh, life, 
And this is everything that is in life. I want these lines to represent boundaries. And I left a gate in my boundaries. I need to close them off. All right. These, these lines represent boundaries. See, the, the truth is that God has given us boundaries that he wants us to live within. I understand this. I'm a parent. I remember as a kid, uh, my dad walked outside with us when we went to go ride our bikes. And he said, hey, you see that green sign down the end of the street? Don't go past that sign. You see that stop sign on the other side? Don't go past that sign. Those are your boundaries, right? And as a parent, I get this so much more now because as a parent, I know things about those boundaries that my kids may not or may not understand as well. I know, for example, that when you're in the boundaries, I can see you. I know, for example, that I have checked out this region right around here inside the boundaries. I happen to know that that region is a safe place to be. I also happen to know because I set these boundaries that outside the boundaries in this area, it's a dangerous place to be. And you need to stay away from there. God has set these boundaries in us, around us. And check this out. Inside the boundaries is this really cool thing. Freedom. Inside the boundaries is freedom. Sometimes we go to God and we have a hard time with the boundaries part of God. Because this is our culture and this is our personalities. We say, ain't nobody going to tell me what I can't do. Am I right? Don't tell me what I can't do. I'm grown. I do what I want. And it's like my son coming to me and saying, Dad, your boundaries are stupid. Your boundaries are stupid. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do. I'm like, buddy. And he says, you're just trying to, isn't this what we say to God sometimes? You're just trying to hold me down. You're trying to cramp my style. You're trying to keep us stuck in the 1600s. If I hear that one more time, I'll be like, come on. God says, No. I'm not trying to do any of that. What I'm trying to do is tell you I know something about these boundaries that you do not. Not only that, I've given you all this space inside the boundaries to do whatever you want to do. It is a place of freedom, and you can excel here. This is a sweet spot. The Bible has a word for, the, for, for, for crossing these boundaries. So if I were to jump this fence... The Bible uses it. You might have learned it like if you ever learned the Lord's Prayer with a sports team or something. The word is trespass. Trespass is a word that means sin. To trespass means to cross that boundary and to leave the place of freedom and to go to the place where God says, don't go. So we got target. Target, sweet spot. God helps us live in the sweet spot. We've got boundaries. The place of freedom where God wants us to excel. And so this man is laying on his mat and Jesus looks down at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. I, remember, I, I told you that there was another group of people in the room, the religious leaders, remember that? And uh, as soon as Jesus says that, they go, aha, that's what we came to hear. That's it. That's the spot. Because they are there waiting for Jesus to say something that they disagree with. And so they, they, they give a response here in verse 6. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Uh, blasphemy is claiming to be God or to have the authority of God. Okay? So would you say Jesus was kind of doing that? So he says, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? These religious leaders hit on a very important point. And by the way, they are exactly right. Because when it comes to sin and forgiveness, 
The only person that can forgive someone is the person who's been offended. So say I've got my friend John, and I've done him wrong, right? I've sinned against him. I've offended him. I really feel bad about it. I just want, I want John to forgive me. And so I'm getting my groceries, and I'm there at the, at the checkout line, and there's this, this guy, he's, he's like a high school kid, and he's bagging my groceries. I see it on his name tag. It says, Tom. I say, hey, Tom. Yes, sir? Um, listen, I need, I need you to forgive me. And Tom's like, excuse me, sir? He's like, I'm like, you know, I, I, really, I really offended my friend John. I really need you to forgive me for that. Tom's like, Sir, the, the question was paper or plastic, but I could ask my manager if that's helpful. Tom can't forgive me for what I did to John. I offended John. Only John can offend me for what I did to John. And the same thing's true about God. You can't walk around forgiving people for their sin. Because only God can forgive sin. So when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, oh man, he has crossed a major line. Blasphemy? is a sin under Jewish law that was punishable by death. They didn't take it lightly. And by claiming to have the authority to forgive sin, Jesus crossed a major line because he was claiming to have the authority of God. And right in front of the religious leaders. Let's read some more of the passage. So verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Did you notice that? He knew what they were thinking. I love that. Jesus hears their thoughts. And so he says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And Matt received the moment he'd been waiting for. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. And it says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus knew what he was doing. He always does. His entire ministry was a mission to show the world that we could have faith and believe that he was who he said he was. But he couldn't just go around making crazy claims. He couldn't just walk around and say, hey, listen, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Because how do you verify that? I could do the same thing. I could go down, downtown on Front Street and be like, hey, listen, uh, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. You, sir, your sins are forgiven. they go, and you are crazy. And the same thing could be said about Jesus. And he realized that. But he said, look. Which one's easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say to this paralyzed man who clearly was just dropped through the roof, get up, take your mat, and go home. Which, by the way, was the very thing Matt had hoped for in the first place. <laughs> it was a good day for Matt. Not only did he get what he, uh, what he wished for, to be healed, but Matt also was one of the very first people to be connected to the love of God through Jesus. That's cool. That is so cool. As we're learning about Jesus from these people who met him firsthand, um, we're finding that Jesus has got this remarkable ability to read between the lines and know what we actually need to get to the bottom of what we really need and bring us to a place where we can be made whole. That's what Jesus is really good at. And so I just got a question for you. What about you? 
What about you? When you come to God with your heart's deepest yearnings, maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe that's, you've maybe walked away from God because you go to God with your deepest yearning. What do you ask for? I'm just curious. Like, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I'm, ask yourself, like, what, what do you beg God for? What do you go to God and ask him? Maybe for you it's like Matt, it's something physical, and you've got a sickness or a pain, or maybe you've got a, a, a family member who's sick with a disease, and, and like that's what you're on your knees begging God for. Listen, I, I don't know all this God stuff, God, but shh, listen, if you could do anything, if you could make me better or make my, my mom healed or, or whatever it is, what is it? For you it might be a life situation, like a, a circumstance thing, it might be like finances or, or you get your job, you hate it, or your job, you don't have one, or maybe it's a relationship and it's, it's busted or you're, you're needing to work on it. What, what is it that you go to God and you yearn for? Um, maybe for you it's an addiction, maybe it's a fear, maybe it's a security thing and you wish that you could just feel more secure in life. Jesus has the power and the authority to take care of all that, and he's done it for lots of people. But first, I want to challenge you to let him read between the lines and not give you what you really want, but to bless you with what you really need. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see someone struggling financially. He doesn't see someone struggling in their job or in a relationship or with an addiction. Yes, those things are not lost to him, but when he sees you, he sees, that is a child of mine who has wandered across the boundaries, and I just want them to come back. If I could just give them this purity, this peace, this wholeness, so they can experience freedom. So I don't know what it is that you lay on the mat and talk to God about, but no matter where you are in your faith today, I think there's something huge that we could learn from the guys in this story. So I want to break it down. It's going to be kind of a quick little synopsis of what we just, we just unpacked. The first thing is this. I want to look at Matt's friends because they're kind of like, they, they start out as kind of like uh, main characters, and then at the end we just forget about them. Like they're still up on the roof. Like what they do, were there high fives happening up there? It was something big happened up there, I'm sure. They probably jumped around and dirt was falling on everybody's head. I don't know. But let's learn something from these guys. We said earlier on that these guys say, we are not about to miss an opportunity to, miss, to meet Jesus. Jesus is in our town. Guys, Jesus is in our town too. He's in Wilmington. He's in Leland. He's in Castle Hayne. He's in Carolina Beach. He's in Wrightsville Beach, wherever you drove in from. Jesus is in our town. In fact, right now, Jesus is in and among people all over our city through his church. Jesus is in our town I want to learn something from these guys and say, man, I am not about to miss an opportunity to meet Jesus. And so for you who's here for the first time or just checking out church, maybe getting back into church, this is, this is my challenge for you. It's very simple, but I give it to you almost every week. I give this simple challenge. Just come back. Come back so you can meet Jesus because we do this every single morning on Sunday and it's a chance to learn about what he says in his Bible and how we can live for him in that way. Maybe for you it seems like a far off hoop and you're down there like, dude, actually I came because I kind of wanted to walk. And you're not talking about that, so I'm not coming back. Do anything it takes to meet Jesus. Don't miss the opportunity. Maybe for the, some of the rest of us, we've been doing the church thing for a little while. And like, we get it, but we kind of are lazy. And we've got these opportunities to meet Jesus, not just on Sunday, but every day. And we pass up conversations and we pass up chances to read our Bible and we pass up chances to serve people the way that Jesus would serve people. Don't miss the opportunity to meet Jesus. 
could happen for you every day. The second half of what I said about them, I said that they were not about to miss an opportunity to meet Jesus. The second half of what I said was, and they were not about to miss the opportunity to get their friend to meet him. They were willing to do anything it took to get their friend. And look, these guys, I'm not endorsing like the defacing of private property and digging through people's roofs and all that kind of crazy stuff. But there's always a way. And sometimes we get kind of hung up on this, this idea of like, man, I'm not prepared to tell my friends. You know what's amazing about these friends? I can guarantee you this. These men probably didn't know very much about Jesus. They probably knew very little about Jesus. And one of the most common things that keeps us from talking to other people about our faith is we say, I don't know enough. I don't understand enough. I don't really get it. Maybe in 10 years I'll understand more. Or maybe I'll just bring them to like the preacher guy and, then, and he can explain it. We'll get on the internet and we'll read a book together. These guys probably knew next to nothing about Jesus. But all they knew about Jesus was what he said he could do and the fact that he had done it. And there's a word for that. That word is faith. And they did anything it took to get their friend to Jesus. And so right now, look, I'm not trying to be like over the top pushy. I'm not trying to be gimmicky. What I'm saying is, are you hearing what Jesus can do for our lives? He can connect us to the love of God. And is there a friend at home who might be laying on their mat that you could drag their tail out to meet Jesus. Because sometimes we are so scared to talk about it. But they're your friends. They want to hear what you believe in. They want to hear what you have to say. Love them enough to tell them. And, and they might be where some of our friends here in this room are today, where they're like, look, I get that you get it, but I don't get it. It's cool. Just say, look, 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 look. No, it's okay. We're not going to be over the top pushy. Just come, ch- come check it out one time. Just, that's all I'm asking. Do what it takes for your friends to meet Jesus. The last thing I want to learn from is from Matt himself. Because I think every one of us in this room, no matter where we are in our faith and our understanding of God, we can understand what happens with Matt. Because I want to ask this question. What did Matt do to earn the healing and forgiveness of Jesus? Do you remember? Like, did he complete a, a six-week class on Jesusism? Did he, uh, did he fill out an application and wait 90 days and then got a reply? Did he do like a three-month internship? Did he go to a theological university? What did, what did he do to receive? I'll tell you what Matt did. Matt laid on the ground on his mat. And he looked up at Jesus. And he believed that he could do what he said he could do. I've said so many times, and I don't want you to ever forget, the thing that connects us with God most other than Jesus and all that stuff, the thing that gets us there is faith. Simply believing that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Every one of us lays on a mat from time to time, and we look up to God, and we say, God, I just, I want you, I need you, or I need something, and maybe it's you, I don't know if it's God. You're on that mat, and I got good news. He's standing there, and he does all the work. He does all the work. He heals you from the inside out, And then progressively, as a fringe benefit of being in the love of God, he starts to work on some of the outside stuff. And every one of us could look up at Jesus and say, man, my life was a wreck. But then, then I met Jesus. Can I pray with you today? God, we love you. We thank you for a chance to hear your word and and to uh, hear the story about this guy, Matt, uh, or whatever his name was. Man, it's cool to hear about the amazing things you did, because I think in the world we live in, we, we lose sight of that, the supernatural side of God, um, maybe as if it's not even real, but God, you still do that stuff. Man, I've seen it. 
You still make people well. But on the deepest level, God, you can heal us and you can make us whole. Right now in this room, there, there are people who have just come to see the, the spectacle. They're gathered around the house. They heard something was happening here. They might be peering in through the windows. And right now, I just pray that they can see the change in people's lives. Help them stick around to find out what you're all about. We love you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.